back to the third place. It's been a you know a hot minute, I guess. We just came off a ginormous episode about Shadow of the Colossus, uh, to which I am still thinking about uh, listening to the music and the thinking deeply about games as art. Now we're transitioning to something, I guess, a little bit different again. Uh, transitioning back into the world of indie games with uh, the Binding of Isaac and talking about its creator Edmund Mc Edmund McMillan. But before we get there, I want to reintroduce one of my favorite people, one of my my North Carolina oh. brother. <laughs> uh, uh, Bayou is back tonight. How are we doing tonight, Bayou? I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> we're we're <laughs> reunited after our Life is Strange episode. Mm -hmm. which which feels like a long time ago i guess because that's like over 20 episodes ago i know uh, but that was such a fun time like considering how what games i have covered on this show and uh you know the fact that like life is strange was technically like in the first half of the season is like really charming to me mm -hmm. um and I still think I still think it, what we said about that game is, still holds up. I still think it's a great game, and it's a very misunderstood game just because it has two two women uh, acting up in Pacific Northwest. Um, yeah. Sorry. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say when we were you know when I was playing Binding of Isaac, it kind of like occurred to me like we're kind of like in a similar headspace, you know, just with like the like early 2000s like indie kind of vibe that, that's that's actually so true because both games kind of came out around the same time and they both give off a sense of like smaller like they're not these gi ginormous games uh yeah. they're very bite-sized projects but you can set you can get a good there's i guess there is a connecting tie between the two episodes uh <laughs> after all uh mm -hmm. but before we get to then, because you join an elite an elite club of returning guests at the moment, uh, so <laughs> the returning guest gets a slightly different question. Uh, first time was what what your game journey was, but this time around, by you, what have you been playing recently, other than Biting of Isaac, of course. So I've been getting really back into to paradox games again. Uh huh. <laughs> That's right. Uh, kind of had a break. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you've been you messaged me here and there about them, and I was always I was curious what you thought. Like I wanted to hear your thoughts more on about them, just because mm -hmm. my knowledge isn't probably the most up to, up to snuff, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I I'd like to hear your thought about your thoughts on them, especially since you've gotten back into them. I mean, they're basically just like autism simulators. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't love a good autism simulator? Me so uh, says 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 me as a Sonic fan. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like each one is there's kind of different like difficulties, I guess. So there's like Stellaris, which is kind of like pretty user friendly, and that's the one that I got into. You know, got me into them. I mm -hmm. used to play that with my roommates back in college. Um, mm -hmm. We would, you know, have servers and have a whole bunch of people play it, and that was super fun. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, Paradox, like there, there's so many games that they do. They, they, 
I always get like kind of lost in them because they're always like these yeah. like more I guess you could say like obscurish like game. I don't know. Like like uh I'm trying to like think of other games because I know Stellaris, because that's like the one isn't that like one of the more that's kind of recent. That was like 2015, 16 and 2016, I think. Yeah, and it's also it's also an RTS, and RTSs are like a genre that I actually kind of struggle struggle with mm-hmm. um, for whatever reason, and I don't understand why I struggle with RTSs. Maybe it's just like you put the autism with thinking hard, and it's just like my brain short circuits on it. Mm-hmm. And but I've always, you know, I have a respect for like Crusader Kings and you know the europa series they always yeah, seem very I've been cool. playing yeah i've been playing a lot of europa universalis lately. yeah that's when i've been getting back into and i also love how like every game has like a shit ton of expansions i just that, <laughs> yeah they they go so overboard with them like it's so funny because like once a year they'll basically make them like five bucks and normally they're like 25 bucks for an expansion so it's like if you want to get all the expansions it's literally like hundreds of dollars to pay for all of the updates for the game but then it's like once a year they they let you get like all of the expansions for like you know 70 bucks or something yeah i mean i mean that's how they get you because yeah. you know they have they introduce like uh <laughs> They introduce like a new mechanic that's like kind of like oh yeah isn't this kind of quaint like <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like I remember I remember Crusader Kings two uh like I think that was 2012 I believe I think like the first one like let you pl- the first expansion let you play as like a Muslim which was like the gimmick of it <laughs> it was it was called Sword of Islam which kind of sounds funny because i don't mm-hmm. know if that would be allowed today to be called like sword of islam but um yeah. uh yeah i mean it's funny how they've been around so long and they have a pretty sizable catalog but they've like kind of remained in that mid tier in at least in my eye where it's not like yeah like super triple a but also not indie uh yeah uh, they're just these swedish people like making video (laughs) games i also get i also confuse them because they're they're paradox and i also for whatever reason uh i get them confused with another paradox which uh they made some Mortal Kombat spin-off games, and mm. they also made like a bunch of X-Men games, like Mutant Academy. And I also get them confused with this no longer around developer called a I think they're called a Pandemics Pandemic Studios, Pandemic Games. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. They were a very famous developer before getting shut down by EA. So it's just like all these paradox pandemic title studios need to stop it. Like make yourselves uh more recognizable to my monkey brain please i only remember like 
I only remember like Square Enix and id and Sega. Like, don't confuse me already. Yeah, um, it's funny because uh, like I actually got into their games like individually. So I got into Stellaris at a different time from EU4 and from another one I really like is City Skylines, which is very different. Oh, the, yeah, yeah. I City Skylines is a very big one. Yeah. Like that one. That one feels like an obvious. <laughs> which I mean, which is not to be like shade at that game by any means, because it's still pretty no, that's cool. That's just what it is. <laughs> like it, it, it evokes the very primal instincts within me that like something like Roller Coaster Tycoon did for me back when I was a kid. Yeah. And these like proto sim building games where you're like you're the malevolent god of this like one this like slice of land i guess it's in a way like this how the sims operates mm-hmm. but the sims is for women uh you know, <laughs> w- women women be loving their sims am i right yeah uh, and samantha she's she's the one uh transgendered uh, sims player that i know <laughs> and we love her for the, we love her for that um but yeah, it's man, those people need to like uh discuss how there is like a genre that should just be called autism simulators. Like <laughs> these simulation yeah. it's I mean it's simulation or RTSs, like they they kind of sit within that and then you throw Sonic the Hedgehog on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um Sonic the Hedgehog for a completely different reason. Uh, mostly for the culture it spawned. Uh, listen to the Sonic episode to get a fuller, fuller understanding of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, have you played anything else other than some Paradox? Um, I've been getting back into No Man's Sky as well lately. I've been meaning to do that too. Because, it's a great uh, game now. Which is really funny to say. Because yeah. were you there at launch? Yes. I I would like just spend like so much time just watching like footage from people playing it and just laughing at how horrible it looked. I mean, it was bad. I bought the game. I bought a physical copy of the game, and I remember, you know, because you know, I'm sure you got caught in the hype cycle when, you know, when the prospect of like, oh yeah, this is the this is a galaxy that you can explore. And the con, you know, people weren't, I guess, they weren't aware of what that actually meant at the time, which was more or less, hey, this planet's purple, this one's orange. Like, and the game was so just, it ran like shit. It was broken and buggy and it had like nothing to do. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, like, No Man's Sky is like actually a really good game. Mm-hmm. Which, which always leaves me feeling conflicted because it's like that game should have never never been released the way it did at the start. Yeah, but at the same time, I have to commend them for sticking with it and just adding buttloads of stuff to do, mm-hmm. like you know. The fact that they actually let you do multiplayer properly in the game that was great like you know expanding on all the stuff because the the core idea i think is interesting 
but there was just no substance to it at the start. But now yeah. there is, which is crazy. I mean, No Man's Sky like legitimately is one of those games that has like an ext- a pretty big fan base now, and now is arguably u- being used in like promotional events again, which is like yeah. such a full one eighty moment for that mm-hmm. game, and it. I guess it'll never die because it's one of those forever games, really, like where you can just never stop playing it. So I guess, you know, that's how they always like they can keep making more stuff for it is that it will never die. Yeah. There's always content to do and there's constantly adding like uh, basic, just new little gimmicks or mechanics. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I I really like. Oh, no, you're fine. I, I really liked that, like, I, it wasn't like I was keeping up with the game all these years. So I really liked, like, going back to it, you know, however many years it's been since it came out. And just seeing, like, that drastic change all at once instead of, like, slow increments of the matting things, you know. I just really appreciated seeing that big jump. For and sure. Think, you know, it has that Minecraft effect where it's like you, you set it aside for a year and then it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, hey, there's, like, a ton new a bunch of new things that granted i probably will never interact with but oh hey like the game is still consistently just getting more stuff and will just never die you know these you know these like indie sort of indie games that are just designed to never end if there's that's another subgenre that it should exist i mean binding of isaac mm. kind of exists in that but it's like minecraft and no man's sky just <laughs> feel so like designed they they feel so male-brained designed mm-hmm. or it's just like you lock yourself into a room and then you forget like that it's been 12 hours and it's just like what did i just do <laughs> I, oh yeah, I did my like habitual, uh, my annual ritual of like purging any Minecraft out of my brain so that I don't go stir crazy. Yeah, so, I had COVID for I had COVID for I want to say like two months ago, two or three months ago, and like the whole time I had it, I was just playing No Man's Sky, just like <laughs> for you know twelve hours a day or whatever it was. I mean, being sick is like the greatest time to play a game because you have no That's no ob- no obligations. <laughs> That's how I beat Sonic Frontiers in three days. I was like, "Wow, <laughs> that feels so sad to say." <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, "I feel like shit. I'm gonna just gonna play a Sonic game." That's how low I felt. I was just like, "I'm gonna succumb and buy the new Sonic <laughs> game," and I'm like, "God damn it." But it turned out to be not that bad. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I guess I won in the end. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, y- you always hear about people... I mean, growing up, if you had a sick day, it's the video game day. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, there's... Ah, man, well... And even in college, too, when new games came out in college, I would just be like, whoopsie, I'm not going to class today. class is not important video games are important to me right now (laughs) which feels so feels so slimy to say (laughs) don't don't skip school kids take it from me 
Um, anything other than No Man's Sky? I I feel. I mean, there's obviously like Elden Ring. The I I yes. forget if you said you got back into it or not. Um, I mean, so right now I'm I'm on Melania, which is considered to be the hardest boss in the game. Oh yeah. And and my my playthrough of Elden Ring right now just consists of me every couple weeks trying to beat that boss, getting really angry, and then just taking a breather. So at this point, I'm mainly just waiting for the DLC, so I have something else to do in the game. Hey, <laughs> I mean the DLC is not too far away. I can't, I think it's supposed to be in the winter or winter or next year. I can't remember, but I remember this is just like a funny little anecdote because Bayou and I like text each other pretty frequently. was I showed you that graph where they like went in on like player stats and I showed you it because you know it better you know the game better than me and you were just like oh yeah everyone died at that boss that sounds right uh uh yeah there there's this great like infographic that Bandai Namco put out about just player habits in Elden Ring <laughs> It really does feel like a science experiment on such a grand scale. It's just like, how did we torture our players this time? How did they <laughs> like die? saw Yeah, it's very Saw-esque. Like, because, I mean, FromSoft, you know, they've gained that reputation of like, oh, yeah, people like die frequently in our games. And they die either in really stupid fashions or they die in the like, you know, Hey, they died at a boss fight or they just died from like another player raiding their, their world and just brutally murdering them and leaving. <laughs> I'm just did like, you hear about april fool's day no, that they I did didn't. No, I didn't. so so they like typically in the game you can't like you know like you have enemy players get summoned into the game Yeah. you know but typically that can't happen during a boss fight but Oh, they for let april that. fool's day this year they let yeah they let people like spawn into other people's games and attack them during What the? boss fight That's so mean. <laughs> That is so mean. yeah <laughs> But it feels so right for a FromSoft so right game. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm I'm curious what they're gonna do with Armor Core Six because I know that they. They've made it a point to say that it's not going to be "quote unquote" armored souls. Like it's not going to be a Dark Souls game, but I, I, I can't help but feel like they're going to include stuff like that because it's one fun to have someone by your side helping you, but also just the, just the like idea that you can just go into someone's game and just fuck with them, like that. That is like some classic griefing. that like I will always love. Uh griefing is an art form in any game, you know, multiplayer game especially because like it just you really have to hone your so like the social game skills to like get someone just to grief in a quality way. Certain certain games are definitely um more geared to it. From soft games are definitely geared to it. Um I remember I believe that like Team Fortress 2 has an achievement for getting someone to rage quit. And TF2, which on one hand is your standard FPS, but it is also another one of these petri dish experiment projects where 
it's like, oh yeah, here's our big update. It lets you do the conga line with our character with your character. It's just like I remember booting that update up and getting the conga dance for the scout and just these multi these lobbies divulging it into full just like tw uh, like 24 player conga lines with each other. That's amazing. Yeah. I <laughs> You, instead of like you know adding potentially like new content they're just like what if we made them dance um which is just like i i, I will always love multiplayer games even though i know you know i've said that multiplayer is a straight man thing which it is mm -hmm. but when you egg on the social sort of like fuckery of it all multiplayer can be really fun i mean I said before on the show, like Journey is a very good multiplayer because it's like the most simple of like interaction, like, you know, be just chirping to like random people that you just stumble into in the game, like without mm -hmm. warning, like that's an interesting thing or just like any Valve game that has multiplayer, which is most of them. And they leave enough for you to just like kind of experiment with it all whether it be like left for dead and just like customizing characters to just be absurdist, like abominations or just running around a zombie map as master chief for, you know, with your mod <laughs> um, or in TF2 where it's just like, not only is the conga line, but you also have taunt kills where you can taunt a, an enemy. And then part of your taunt is like actually uh, deals damage and you can insta kill people with him so it's like you had the scout who has a taunt where he just like swings his baseball bat and that can kill someone if they run <laughs> into it or you know the spy has a knife that he like flails around and does a, a stab motion that stab can kill someone it's like uh or i can think of a. Uh, the the grand the grand social experiment type games are like role role playing type games, um or games that have role play servers on them because they are funny as shit. Um, there's a great game called Space Station Thirteen, where it's kind of a predecessor to Among Us, which feels whenever I bring up Among Us, I get like kind of like <laughs> weird feelings inside me. So you're not going to do an Among Us episode? I will at some point, but <laughs> I feel like I need to let that game die down. You yeah. know, as I said with uh, Telepathy Party, you know, when I think Among Us, I still think of like when AOC played it. And like, <laughs> uh, I think like Chapo played it one time. Yeah. I don't know, but like the fact that AOC and Chapo are still kind of in my mind attached to that game just makes me feel wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, Space Station 13 is like kind of the predecessor to it, but it's on a on a granularity that makes it an autism simulator. Hmm. Like you can you select a role for your character. So like you can be a clown, for example, and the clown can pull out like banana peels and you have to like go into your inventory, pull the banana peel out, equip the banana peel, drop it on the floor and it causes people to slip on it. <laughs> and also if you're a clown, you can randomly just start honking your like clown horn at them to start. <laughs> uh, 
And another thing, like, there's so much, like, granularity to Space Station 13, where it's, like, you can, like, handcuff people. Like, you have to pull the handcuffs out of your inventory, handcuff them, and you need, like, a key, pull the key out to unlock. It's so hyper granular in the amount of detail to interact with it that you just see a brilliant griefing videos that spawned out of it. Like, I... Space Station 13 is kind of insane. Like, I I can't believe a game like that exists and people treat it seriously. Like, those, <laughs> you, you, you know, you see those, like, role-playing games where it's just, like, people are, like, acting seriously. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, why are you treating this seriously? This is like a playground where I'm here to, like, fuck around with you. <laughs> um, Like, GTA 5 on PC has role-play servers. Hmm. where like cops have their own special radio line and you have to like call the cop personally through the game to like get them (laughs) to uh, come to you and there's like you know you can handcuff people or you can like uh, use, use your phone to message people in the game to like contact them if they're far away it, I, one day I will get into the whole subgenre of role playing games, not not the ones we know of, but the ones that like true degenerates play. Like what? Well, it's just like uh, <laughs> like one of the ones I know of is someone modded. Uh, they took the Source engine, which is the one Valve makes made, uh-huh. and they made Harry Potter role play servers out of it. Where they made a custom like uh, Hogwarts, and you play wow. as students, and you have to go through the whole ordeal of going to class. You you can get sent to detention. You you have teachers who people role playing as teachers. You know it, it's tr- people role playing out Harry Potter, and I'm just like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> There's also like uh what's it called? Second Life. Mm-hmm. Uh that's which, exactly what I was thinking about. Yeah, Second Life or to an extent PlayStation Home when that was still a thing. Like these like sandboxes where it's just literally like living your life out in a digital world. Yeah. Um, or I, I even think of a VR chat, uh, which feels really scuzzy to like play like you know all these people with their custom characters like going to like bars and talking to each other like that feels just like icky to me that was such a moment though oh yeah i remember <laughs> vr chat was was the it girl for a little bit that was then... it like just watching videos of that it was like it was just like having a fever dream just watching footage from that game when it first came out it really does and the fact that, like, from what I understand, it's still going strong. Wow. But it definitely feels like, when I say those communities, I mean it in a disparaging way. Um, I feel like people know exactly what I'm talking about. The true just <laughs> miscreants of society, like, yeah. making their own custom characters. We all know which ones. <laughs> um, you know, just making these, like, nightmare worlds and i'm just like i almost want to like avoid it now because i feel like i'm gonna like get dirty 
opening it up now. So, um, so yeah, you got Elden Ring in your play recent playlist. Has there been any other interesting ones in your journey since we last talked? I don't think so. I don't think I've been playing anything else. See, for me, I guess I'll just say this because it's been since the Resident Evil 4 episode where I actually where I listed what I've been playing. Uh, well, it's Resident Evil 4 still again uh, with the Mercenaries mode. But also I replayed Shadow of the Colossus and I beat it for the episode with uh, Ev, which, was, you know, Shadow of the Colossus is one of the best games of all time, hands down. Uh, still, we'll say everyone needs to play Shadow of the Colossus. Like, just get the remake for PS4. You'll be fine. It's the same game, literally, but just with a new coat of paint. Uh, what else? I mean, Binding of Isaac for a little bit. I'm kind of like tempted to get the Street Fighter Six demo. Uh, even though I am still a baby when it comes to fighting games, uh, Street Fighter Six uh, looks unreal in terms of what it has inside of it. It actually has like content, which I cannot say about the last Street Fighter game, which had no content. Um, Street Fighter Six actually also it looks like it is going to try and get newcomers to get engaged, like learn how to play a fighting game, which is um, an accomplishment in of itself because fighting games are extremely difficult to get into, especially if you've never played them. And Street Fighter 6 genuinely looks like the most exciting Street Fighter since like 4, which was uh 2008. Wow. So and Street Fighter 4 was big because it was the first Street Fighter game since 3 and 3 the last entry in 3 came out in like 2000. So there was an 8-year gap. Hmm. Um Street Fighter 3 is still considered the best in the series. Uh stay tuned hint hint for Street Fighter 3 episode. Um, but yeah, I mean, Capcom's making genuinely amazing games and I will never understand people's recent, uh, hate boners for them saying that they're Reddit and it's just like, play good games. They're making them like, shut up. No one enjoys a bit like a, this is a, a type of character I see on Twitter called like the bitter millennial gamer where everything new sucks uh to in the eyes of them and you know they 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 can't appreciate the good games that are coming out um they just see like perceived issues and flaws and it's just like well back in my day that wouldn't have happened i'm just like i i want to say a word but i don't want to say it because it's it's the no no word um <laughs> it's just like bitch resident evil 4 remake it's like legitimately one of the best games of all time. I'm not even joking. And you're here like huffing and puffing that they forgot they didn't include one thing. Meanwhile, it's like just, you know, it's the first game in history that will uh, give you a blowjob. Like, <laughs> that's how good it is. Yeah, I, I'm i getting very tired of that character online. I've yeah. been tired. I've been tired of it for a few years. And I'm just like, play... You know, it's fine and dandy, you know, because I've done this with the show. It's fine and dandy 
to love the old stuff because the old stuff is great. But don't don't be a like little hater about modern stuff. There's good modern stuff coming out. You know, just yeah. don't play don't play Horizon Zero Dawn or Forbidden yeah. West. No one cares about that one. Yeah, I feel like like there's a lot of things like where I feel like oh it's not as good as it used to be. Like I feel like pop music's just not as good as it used to be for the most part. And like TV's not as good. And there's like a lot of things that aren't as good as they used to be. But like one of the few things you can't say that about right now is video games. Like I don't get that mentality at all with that. There's so many good games that are still coming out. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean you know, I had to see the term safe horny on the timeline today. I was just like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> like safe horny? Like okay. Like, uh, they're, like, commenting on Street Fighter Six. one of the characters, Kami, you know, in the old game, she had, like, a green unitard that, like, based, you know, showed her body and all that stuff. And the new one, she has, like, a sporty jacket with, like, yoga pants type look and all that stuff. And they're saying, oh, she's safe horny, despite the fact that she's got, like, a an animation where she's, like, literally sh- jutting her tits out. And like putting her ass in the air, I'm just like, oh, that's safe horny. Like, what does that mean? Just define safe horny other than the fact that, oh, it's marketable. It's like, yeah, I will take whatever I am given, bitch. Like, enjoy like these hot characters, even if because most of the time you ain't getting them, yeah. you know, especially from the West. Yeah. People just like to complain. <laughs> yeah, everyone loves to complain, especially on Twitter. Like, yeah, as as it's been said before, takes are over. Like, just <laughs> enjoy things. You know, that's that's my mission with the show. It's just enjoy things for the love of God. Like, twenty twenty three in terms of gaming is going to be is jam packed full of good things. We've already got an RE four remake. Next month is Breath of the Wild sequel, uh, Tears of the Kingdom. A month after that is Final Fantasy 16. There's Alan Wake 2. There's Final Fantasy 7 Remake Part 2. There's Armor Core 6. Like, or It's like there's good stuff coming out this year that's exciting and genuinely good looking. And you're here like crossing your arms and harumphing. Uh, saying it's just not good enough it's like oh my god i hate i hate these people <laughs> I, ha- I hate them so much yeah but yeah i think yeah that, i mean that's a good way to recap you know uh bring us back from you know our our stint away from each other per se but i think this is a good time to segue into the first part of the, the first first part of the night and it's kind of continuing off of the discussion that I had with Jocko on Journey, which is the indie game. But with tonight, I kind of want to explore the concept of the the indie game made by one person, because that was definitely a thing for a while. You know, Bayou and I are relatively the same age, and I would say most people around our age and into the millennial age group remembered the sort of renaissance that the Xbox Live Arcade had for gaming at the time. 
and you know the PlayStation Network Store and Steam bringing forth all of these interesting games most of the time made by one person or in some you know at most maybe like five people 10 people which was a a shift away or a, a kind of a taking away a foundation of the game industry which is now you go you get the game from the big name developer and publisher like the 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 indie games kind of gave a new venue for gamers to play games that were quote unquote not like publisher friendly or you know they weren't something that you could slap a $60 price tag on uh Xbox Live Arcade, Steam, and PSN all delivered some really unique and interesting games. I, as I mentioned before on the show, there's stuff like Journey or Flower or Flow from that game company, but stuff like Tonight, Binding of Isaac was one of them, or Super Meat Boy or Braid, or I guess if you want to put praise onto this game, Fez. And I mentioned these specifically because I actually made Bayou watch something for this episode, which was Indie Game the Movie. And I think that gives a that gives a good mind in the concept of the indie game, the indie game creator. And so I don't know. I guess Bayou, I guess I'll ask you is what do you think what is your thoughts on the indie game as it were? I feel like there was definitely in the early two thousands, there was a big indie game kind of era. Mm-hmm. And I feel like like it it it's something I didn't even really fully realize until looking back on it now, like watching that movie and the game, you know, playing Binding of Isaac and kind of getting myself in like the mindset of that era that like it was a you know a kind of an era, and it's not something that we really have exactly in the same way anymore. But mm-hmm. like I guess like at the time, I guess you could say, like now people are more willing to accept video games as art, but I would say that wasn't so much the case, you know, about a decade or so ago. And that mm-hmm. these like indie game developers are a big reason why people associate games with art now. Mm-hmm. And that it was sort of all of these individual artists becoming really well known and respected in the gaming community and becoming figures, you know, like they became like people that people knew by their name. You know, mm-hmm. and sort of seeing these people put out games that were very different than anything anyone else had ever done and that weren't done specifically for commercial reasons. You know, they were done for artistic reasons. Yeah, that's very true. That that was a big thing with indie games was the notion that these are games not made for profit. You know, they were made by people for all intents and purposes, they were made by gamers. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, people who grew up on stuff from the NES, the Super Nintendo, primarily, you know, back back in the late 2000s, these were games primarily made by people who were kids in that era of gaming. These, you know, the 16-bit, the 8-bit, 2D games. And they we're seeing games as an avenue to explore new possibilities in the sense of experience or subject matter or art style, something that wasn't guaranteed, something that possibly couldn't be a guaranteed smash hit. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, and a lot of these games are just very bite-sized, self-contained experiences. But a lot of times they're very well thought out, very intrinsic, and have a lot of unique aspects to them. Binding of Isaac is one of them. But, you know, you can look at some, you know, thinking back of that era, like I remember Limbo was a very unique game yep. at the time. You know, the That's what I was going to mention. Which was like a... a Oh, man, how I can't remember how long that game was. It felt like it was only like a two to three hour game, but it's like this sort of picture book esque black and white sort of you know just basic platforming game, but it's like set in this very unnerving kind of horror, not exactly horror, but has a lot of sort of unnerving, scary imagery in it, and there's like no dialogue, no nothing, you know. This isn't exactly something you could have put $60 to and sell on the shelf. Like, hey, now with, you know, these digital storefronts, now you had a chance to sell this for like $10, $15 and, you know, deliver something that was unique at the time. I mean, all of these, the the explosion of these games really kind of or originates, at least for me in my eye, from like the Newgrounds days where it's just mm-hmm. like, one person slapping together a flash game in about a month and then putting it online and then that was it and then they're on to the next one uh but now the indie game has almost become its own little self-contained industry where now you have like bigger indie game projects that are like (laughs) you can tell they got money behind them from some other some investor or whatever Mm -hmm. or you even see like you, but you still see this tr- tried and true indie heart at it all. <laughs> like the well, one time I will probably, for now, one time I'll give my, my give my flowers to Undertale, where Undertale was like made on a like Kickstarter budget of like I don't know like fifty thousand dollars and made primarily by one guy, and Undertale became like the indie darling of 2016 i believe and you know now that guy more or less has like made as much money as he's wanted to ever and now he's making a sequel at his own pace and heck his own game gets referenced in smash brothers like which Mm -hmm. is bananas on one hand but you know indie game developers are you know, a lot of these people are like not guaranteed successes, you know, something like an Undertale or something like a Minecraft or Binding of Isaac or Limbo, Braid, uh, Castle Crashers or Bastion or Nid- uh, Nidhogg or Hotline Miami, all these small independent games are risks in a, in a sense, you know. They're trying something new. They're trying, they're experimenting with the medium. And that's what I always love about them. And you really get a sense of who these developers are too. You know, when you have a AAA game, you're you're kind of like shielded away from aspects of game making or the people behind it. You know, they'll occasionally be an auteur maker, like a Kojima, where you can like, he can be the figurehead, but a lot of times it's just like a bun. It's just the developer. 
But with an indie game, you really get a personal look at people, which I always love seeing. I love to see what makes these people's minds work the way they do. Um, Like when we were talking earlier today, it was just like, you get a real sense of just how crazy some people can get in terms (laughs) of not just for one just making anything but just making a game and especially making a game by yourself like you realize mm-hmm. how crazy that that endeavor really is yeah there's something just really beautiful about how you know it's especially revealed in indie game the movie that it's just like for so many of these developers they spend years of their lives you know pouring every single resource they have into a game and at the end of the day they still have no idea if it's going to be a success or not Oh, yeah, no. Indie Game the Movie, I mean, I guess, what what did you think of Indie Game the Movie as a documentary? I thought it was a perfect, like, encapsulation of just that ethos at the time of gaming, that it was, like, at the time it was sort of, I mean, I think I saw it when it first came out, but I I had no, like, recollection of any of it, like, rewatching mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. It's just been so long. But it's just, like, there were so many documentaries from that time too. Oh yeah. That was a big thing at the time. Oh yeah. By style type documentaries. Oh, I I remember that. mm -hmm. (laughs) And so it was really nice having like a documentary about indie games from that time. Cause it sort of is combining two really big, like parts of the culture at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I really liked seeing like a documentary about how, the people that make these games are really, you know, struggling a lot of the times financially, you know, with their personal lives, but that they're all doing it out of a higher purpose, you know, that they think that there's something that they're, they're saying with their games. And I just thought that was really beautiful. Yeah. I I asked Bayou to watch it mostly because the creator of Binding of Isaac is in this, uh, when he was working on the game, Super Meat Boy, uh with another guy uh and it was indie game the movie documents three different games or three different creators uh at different stages of game development one guy reflecting on a game after it had already come out uh with jonathan blow and braid uh then you have ed edmund mulland uh and i forget the other guy's name his name's tommy something mm-hmm. uh but they're their process of releasing their game super meat boy and then <laughs> the powder keg himself phil Fe- phil fish uh documenting his process of making an indie game and showcasing it to the public for, for like on a bigger scale and you get a sense of like how truly grueling this sort of stuff is in terms of just making a game like you know down you know what i love about it is like edmund tells you all about how like you have to think about like how do you teach the player without like explicitly telling them what to do sort of thing or like just sort of the inner workings of their minds as creators you know uh or what motivates them or what just makes them tick. I mean, and they all they all handle it very differently from each other, which 
is just like a great sort of encapsulation of what an indie game maker is like Jonathan Blow uh, getting upset that people didn't understand the meaning of his game, which granted at the time, uh, not many people were in that crowd, but like for some reason that he had to go on every forum and like explain his his rationale to the point where like he became a caricature of himself. And when he got uh, upset at Soldier Boy, like making fun of the game, I'm just like, why are you putting time and effort into Soldier Boy? Like <laughs> make, making fun of the video, or making fun of your game. It's like Soldier Boy is not a critic. You should be like paying attention to, buddy. Uh-huh. But it gives such a great insight into who John Blow is as a person. Uh-huh. Um, and then Phil, Phil Fish. Oh my God. In many ways, he's like the chaotic evil of like the indie game developer. Where he, 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 I could talk about him forever because he is such a wholly unique and wholly unrestricted like gremlin, uh-huh. like. He gets set off by everything. He thinks his idea is the greatest idea since sliced bread. And he looks like every hipster from like 2011 uh, with his mutton chops and his thick rim glasses. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's from, and he's like French Canadian too, which just adds another <laughs> like layer to it all. Another layer of psychotic. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't, I mean, uh, for one, there's his famous Twitter rants where he would just, like, call people names right and left, you know, stuff you couldn't say nowadays. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was, when he won an award for Fez, I think he believed, I think he said, like, up front, it's like, Japanese games suck. And it's just like, oh, buddy boy, (laughs) you don't say that. Even though you're allowed to, you don't say that. You don't understand what you're saying. Um, and it all culminates when I don't know if you knew this, but Fez Two was announced, and then really? he just yeah, then he just upfront said Fez Two is canceled on his Twitter, <laughs> and then promptly deleted his Twitter account, and he hasn't been on Twitter wow. since. Wow. He just, he just couldn't take it anymore, and he just went out in a blaze of glory. So he's he's like not doing anything anymore then i guess i have no idea to be to be completely (laughs) honest with you that man has like disappeared from i think everyone's radar uh in terms of making things or being involved in the industry i'm sure he's doing something because it's not like he's an idiot he's really smart you know i can appreciate where his mind goes with making fez it's just like Seeing it in a way, it kind of reminds me of how like a reality TV show depicts a character. And it's just like mm-hmm. that man does not understand like. And this was all this is when social media was starting to kick off, too, as we know it. And that man has no idea that like a camera's in front of him and people are going to have like opinions about him that they can send directly to him. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's very modern drag race where 
if a queen were to like say something inflammatory or just say like hey this this bitch is annoying me and then they get flooded with stan accounts just being like how dare you that's kind of like the phil fish start part of that story and I I I won't deny that his part is so captivating. Like he is uh-huh. he is a wonderful a, a, a fascinating little character to like just keep an eye on whether it be in the movie itself or just out the uh, what he did post Fez coming out like what he said. Uh-huh. And it's just funny how like out of all out of all the of the four guys documented, <laughs> it's just funny how Edmund McMillan comes off as the most normal, and he had the most success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we're <laughs> a guy who, again, he has the weird, weird hipster mutton chops, covered in tattoos, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I was drawing like monsters and demons in elementary school," and, um. As he, uh, as I showcased, as I showed you, one of the f- games he made on Flash was a game called Cunt. Oh God! Yeah, just called Cunt, where you're, you're like, I think I, if I remember correctly, you are a penis shooting. Yeah, you're a penis shooting at like a vagina type. Yeah, thing. A, a Cthulhu vagina monster. <laughs> um, or he has. Uh, there's a game, I think, I can't remember the name of it, but it's a dead baby dress up. Oh uh, my God. Yeah. Where you're dressing <laughs> up these like corpse babies. Um, yeah. Like a guy who's made stuff like that. And then in the documentary, he comes off as like the most normal and you like feel for him the entire time. Cause he's like got a wife and he's just trying to support her despite like not making much money. And you really kind of root for him in the end. And he definitely feels like the main character to me. Um, yeah. And, and with that game specifically with super meat boy, um, the game kind of the movie follow, it follows super meat boy, the creator of braid yes. braid or braid braid. And then, Oh man, what was the third one? Fez. <laughs> Fez. Yes. And like, sort of like, Braid had already come out for years at this point, and it's just kind of following the creator afterwards. Mm-hmm. And then Fez is still in production as of the point of the making of the documentary. But we mm-hmm. get to actually see the release of Super Meat Boy. Yes. And like people go from, you know, broke indie game developers to people that are, you know, have so much money just immediately. Just mm-hmm. over the course of the documentary. Yeah, I mean you really get a sense of just the shit indie game makers have to put up with, especially back then, because this was, even though indie games were getting highlighted, they weren't getting like directly funded. If that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. in the, I almost think like binding of Isaac helped this because it became such a massive success organically. Mm-hmm. You saw a lot of publishers like Nintendo and Sony and Microsoft all started like having their own indie showcases where they'd be like, here's our 10 minute block showcasing indie games that are coming to our system. And it's like, 
well, now they got like uh, marketing money. They get like, you know, they get a little help from Sony or Nintendo directly, like whether it be help on like developing for the platform or them getting money to make the game, you know, you know, Super Meat Boy, you just see, you just like see like Edmund and uh, Tim, I think is, is oh my God, I, I should know his name. Tommy, right? Yeah, Tommy. You're seeing how they're like literally basically going broke during the course of the movie. Yeah. Or like they're relying, Tommy's relying on his parents for support. And they've you gone know, in debt. Yeah, they've, they've gone in debt and, you know, and it, heck, even when the release of the game came out, like it wasn't showing on the Xbox Live page, and they were like panicking, thinking that the game was going to be an utter failure. And you know, you, you it's hard to put yourself in the shoes of someone who's like waste put all of their money into making this thing, and now the possibility that none of this money is ever going to like be worth investing in. Like yeah. we just made a flop and what are we going to do now sort of thing. And ultimately it's nice to see that super meat boy was the success. It was, I mean, it became one of the biggest indie games of that time and all time, which I love the parent, you know, Tommy's first thing he did after the, you know, the game had come out and all that was just, I'm going to take a trip to Hawaii, you know, <laughs> but you know, I think that's ultimately like I think why people can get behind people like this is because yeah. it it's just that tried and true underdog story. Like yeah. here's here's these like two guys going broke making a game that they love with a weird a, a weird out there style that's a little eclectic, a little quirky, a little like okay, you know, you're you're playing as a literal sack of meat trying to save your girlfriend from a character called Doctor Fetus. Like, <laughs> that's already kind of like a goofy enough setup, but you know, to see, you know, to see, it's very much like seeing the fruits of your labor come to pass, and. I, I'm always so happy to see these like indie success stories because they're more or less making games for the fact that that they love making games. You know, mm-hmm. I, I can relate to them, and for me personally, I can relate to them because I love games. I've yeah, well, this podcast is a reflection of that, and every time, I mean, you know, Undertale like making a bazillion dollars or like hotline Miami becoming one of the most iconic games of the 2010s or, you know, you know, binding of Isaac being a game that like just has sustained itself for 10 years now, pretty much over 10 years. Uh Like you can't help, but be like, you know, I'm proud of you. You, you did it son sort of thing (laughs) with these guys because I can say this as someone who tried to make games in college. It's fucking hard. <laughs> Making games is fucking hard. No one understands uh-huh. this. Like, sure, it, it's fine and dandy until your character starts clipping through the ground and you don't know what 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 the <laughs> hell that means. Mm-hmm. You know, and these guys are like doing this with even more complexity than I ever did. I was just working with like square cubes 
and telling the square cube to not phase through the environment. Like, I can't imagine what it's like for these guys who are like putting it all. I mean, another great indie success was like Cuphead, where the guys in charge of that mm -hmm. group, they had to mortgage their house wow. in order to fund it before Microsoft helped them out. Like, um, you, you, you really come to love these creators because at the end of the day, they love and value the sort of experiences that games can bring to so many people. That's why I love games because every game has a unique experience, you know, whether it be just from a pure fun factor or to something that's a little bit more grander in subject matter or themes or analysis. That's why I love indie games. That's why I love gaming, you know, and indie games feel such a pure concentrated version of that. Yeah. I, I think a big part of what makes the documentary so effective is it's like at this point in time, it's sort of like the idea of getting big off an indie game. It's not like a cliche, but it's like, it's a, it's something that happens all the time now, you know, every now and then there's a big indie game that takes the world by storm. But it's sort of like when that documentary is coming out, that's not happening to the same degree that it is now, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. And it is, it's sort of really touching to see so many of these people like realize that that's a possibility mm -hmm. you know that they could make it big yeah just like a random little project that they they you know come up with on their own outside of a studio oh yeah i mean you know the the, the period of indie games that like by uh isaac came out of for a lot of people they were starting to get sort of worn out on the big budget game that wasn't perfect at launch or you know was a step down from its previous iteration and you know indie games kind of filled a necessary hole in the market that had been left when like the i guess the term would be double a game where it's like oh hey here's a smaller publisher it's got a sizable team behind them but they're not like on the level of like a Square or a Capcom or a Sony Nintendo, you know, indie games kind of felt like the new version of that, mm -hmm. but on a much more smaller scale. And just it, it also ties in just like how those consoles, like the 360 and the PS3, felt so fascinating and exciting at the time. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, if I go on the internet with these things, I can purchase games that I can just, for a few bucks, and download them to my console. And, like, you know, I didn't have to leave the store to, like, find this game in, like, a bargain bin or something. Like, mm -hmm. I went on... It's like the novelty of going on the internet that, mm -hmm. you know, even the late 2000s still kind of had. You know, yeah. like having consoles where online was such a big component of it, it made it an alluring factor, I feel like. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, heck, if you look at, like, uh, I can't remember, correct, if you said this, but you were an Xbox 360 kid? I've... No. Oh, okay. No. Uh, my friends had Xbox 360s, though. 
yeah but like okay yeah okay so like with the 360 it's like oh hey like i have this huge online aspect of using this system or it's like i have my friends mm -hmm. i can you know i have all their avatars and you can like see all the games they're playing and then like you notice this like one because you know ps3 and the 360 had like the achievements and the trophies that kind of like marked your your gamer street cred as it were and you could see all the games that your friends were playing too so like you just like kind of peer into what they're playing and you just see this like obscure game you've never heard of and you saw you saw like oh hey they like got like I don't know, 80% of the trophies for that game. It's like, what the hell is that game? Like, and I search online with my console on the store, be like, oh, what's Binding of Isaac? You know, what's this like weird looking game? Like, indie games kind of feel kind of kind of tied in with the whole like the the joy of the internet prior to the 2010s, where it's just like I can discover so many things. Yeah. So many unique things that are not necessarily maybe made for me, but they have a clear design and purpose behind them. And I think that's why I always hold a soft spot for games like these. It's, mm -hmm. it's a, it's like the uh, leftovers from a part of the part of growing up that, zoomers won't really understand because it's now like mm -hmm. now you have like every big game is like being advertised on the stores now and mm -hmm. it's not so much about like using the internet to like possibly discover a hidden gem it's now i use the internet to download my <laughs> new 60 70 game <laughs> which yeah. removes the charm like it just feels like I don't know, just like going on Amazon to buy something now. Yeah, there's no like mystery. Um, so for me personally, like the game that got me into like indie games in the first place was Limbo. That was yes. the one that I, that was the first one I ever found, mm -hmm. and that was like that was like what got me into Steam. Like that's how I discovered Steam was a thing. And like when I first found that out, like that like blew my mind. That like yeah. I could just. Yeah. Get an application that would let me download like serious games onto my computer like that at the time was just like insane yeah it yeah indie games also even though i didn't get to steam because of indie games like steam also felt like a a breeding ground for all this because it's like another aspect of game development people don't understand is like when you're trying to make for a console you usually have to like make a development kit or you have to design for that console with a PC, it's like I'm making the game on the, my computer, and then I just put it yeah. straight to the marketplace for PC. You just see, you know, granted on some cases, you'll see some shit on there, on Steam, that is just like, thrown in there cheaply just to make a quick buck. Mm -hmm. But, like, Steam, because it has so many... It has kind of like a social media type uh thing to it that you kind of are just you're encouraged to discover things whether it be through steam sales or your friends just simply playing something you know steam became a way to discover these hidden gems i mean binding of isaac is one of these cases 
where it was thrown on Steam after a few months in development. And it's like Steam kind of was the perfect place for it, even though it was never meant to be a huge success. So, yeah, it's... The indie game is a fascinating little creature. I... It's, you know, it's interesting to be in a time place where the indie game is like a defined style of game and the fact that like now we have like big name publishers like Sony putting money behind these projects. Mm -hmm. It's a, it, on one hand you lose the charm, but there always will be like that one game that captures the, the hearts and minds of people around the world. And it's suddenly now the one thing I have to play. I mean, I mentioned it before on the show, but like Disco Elysium is another one of these like surprise indie darlings or I'm trying to think of other ones. There's so there's literally so many. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember Doki Doki Literature Club. Yes, that's a good one. Yeah, that one took <laughs> over the Internet. Um, fuck Among Us as much as like it's like dirty to say among us still like that was a surprise indie darling that just it helped that that the covid thing happened but man oh man like uh among us kind of sprang and became everyone's new favorite game like there will always be an inherent charm to indie games cuz they feel so natural and pure at the end of the day mhm mm but yeah, I mean, I don't know if you have any closing thoughts per se on on this topic. Otherwise, we can just get straight into Binding of Isaac because I kind of want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure, we can move on. Yeah, well, what are the way then to get onto the uh, game of tonight, which is Binding of Isaac? Honestly, looking at Binding of Isaac footage, like when you're not playing it, you're just realizing how strange it looks. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't know if you 
I don't know how much you researched into it, but like, it is hilarious to think Edmund McMillan's like, yeah, I designed this to fail. In the sense of, it's all these elements that should not have worked. That's true, yeah. Like, all the subject matter, the visuals, the fact that it was made in three months, you know, the fact that it never ends, also, technically, and all the fact that it has permadeath in it, like, in many ways, it seemed it was never meant to succeed. Like, it's just funny that this is a game that has arguably become, like, one of the biggest successes of the 2010s, where every new version of it is like a big thing and it still has like 20,000 people playing it on steam wow. which which is a fair big number for for games because you know some games you know they don't even crack get past like 5,000 or even that like the fact that binding of isaac still has such a strong player base for being in all intents and purposes, a 12-year-old game is kind of amazing. Yeah. Especially but, for how... I mean, it was basically, you know, it had no budget originally. You know, it was just this small... I think he did it for, like, a game, like a game jam, if I remember correctly. And it's like, a you know, it was originally a Flash game on top of that. Oh, my God. Yeah, that that's the thing, too, is no one understands making f- games on Flash, like, you know... Staying true to his, um, you know, McMullen's roots as a new grounder, like Flash being such a limiting engine for games that was notorious for not being like the best. And the fact that you have so many of these people, whether they be new grounds people or new grounds game makers or making legit games. Like, the fact that they were still using Flash for such a long time mm-hmm. still is, like, funny to me. It's <laughs> Nowadays, we would never see that. It would be made in, like, Unreal Engine or something. You know, mm-hmm. a, pro- a proper game engine. Uh, but, yeah, the, fa- the fact that Binding of Isaac was just, like, some, like, thrown-together little game. And now it's, like, what? Uh, the original version of it is sold, like, Three million copies, and then the the re the quote unquote remake has been sold has sold like over five million. Wow! It's like I hope I hope Ed Ed McMullen never has to work a day in his life ever again. But kudos to the man; he still makes games. Mm-hmm. But enough preamble. Uh, so yeah, Binding of Isaac. It's a it's one of the showcase indie darlings of the 2010s. You probably have heard of this game in some capacity, whether it be you saw the trailers of it, or you've seen someone play it, or you just seen it on the internet. But yeah, this came out, like we said, uh, back September 28th, 2011. It was a originally a like PC-only game made by two guys, uh, Ed McMillan primarily, but also another Flash programmer named Florian Himsel. Uh, And this was following McMillan's success with Super Meat Boy, where to think that this game succeeded is, again, it's kind of a miracle because this game is 
on the surface level, gross, depressing, scary, you know, just all around not, it does not have success written on it, if it will. It's a roguelike game, which if you, none of you know what roguelike is, roguelikes are games that are designed to basically never end, uh, where the game will just procedurally generate levels for the player to explore. And then, then the other sort of key element of roguelikes is that there's permadeath, which means if you die, you have to go back from the beginning all over again. The uh, term is called a run. But yeah, uh, Binding of Isaac it was a, originally a Flash game uh, that was put on Steam. It has a very, I would say, a shocking setup, you know, where you play as a little boy named Isaac uh, running away into his toy chest because his mom wants to sacrifice him because she hears God tell her to... Uh, show her faith uh, by killing him, by killing her son, and so you retreat to your toy box, and suddenly now you're transported to these like demonic, hellish levels full of monsters, literal Christian demons. As you're, you know, you're running around as this naked child using your tears as weapons. Uh, yeah, I mean, this game is wild to say the least, and it's. I don't know what to say. I mean, what do you think, Bayou? Because you you actually, I believe, suggest because you said this is one game that you've played. You know, this is one that you have a lot of time with. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, what do you think of Binding of Isaac? To me, it's just like it's a game with a premise that shouldn't work. You know, where you're you're oh. playing as a naked little boy shooting pieces of poop. Yeah, and there's like a religious yeah. element to it too. Yes, but it's just like. Yeah. Ed McMullen's like, the, he's just so good at selling every single thing about it that it, yeah. it just is yeah. such a fun game. And it's something that you just keep thinking about and it's something you keep wanting to go back to. Mm -hmm. And it's not out of anything necessarily unique to the game necessarily. Well, like it's the play, the way the game is played is not necessarily all that different from like a generic roguelike, but it's yeah. just the art style, the music, mm -hmm. just the vibe of the game, everything about it is just done so well that it's something that you just want to keep playing. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, you can see the influences on this game. I mean, it's it's presented in a style very similar to the original Legend of Zelda, where you're dungeon crawling through these sort of top-down views and it has spelunky elements where everything is procedurally generated on the spot. So no two rooms are going to be the same for the most part, whether it be color palettes are swapped or environments are swapped or new monsters, new items, whatever it might be. It's, it's very simple premise, but everything around it, I think, is the captivating part about it. And I think that's part... It's a case where a game is so sound in its mechanics that, like, I think it would have gotten an audience, but I think everything around it is what got people invested in it. Mm -hmm. And McMullen is an interesting character. We we touched upon him in the first half, but 
to me, he is like the epitome of good game developer, at least like to me growing up. Like, as we said, this man busted his balls making new grounds games of varying subject matter that were on I guess in today's standards, very harsh and very gross and very in many ways, like I guess you I guess you could say abject, even. Like he's yeah. getting into a lot of just just vile things that at the time felt very new grounds, very internet. Like you would see, you know, just bizarro games that would appear on Newgrounds in the adult section, like Cunt, as we said earlier, or Dead <laughs> Baby Dress Up. But Binding of Isaac kind of feels like a culmination of all those games because, you know, I think he made like near like almost a hundred games on yeah. Newgrounds. And then suddenly, you know, Binding of Isaac, which, you know, he, you know, the fact that he said he wanted, he designed it to fail is really funny because it mm-hmm. he embodies what I love about in many ways a true artist because he wears his you know he shows his inspirations but he also is not afraid to show himself you know binding of Isaac obviously but even games like uh, the game he followed up by Isaac with which was the end is nigh uh which details all of his sort of struggles that he was feeling at the time but in his personal life and he's presenting it in this grim dark depressing world that's like the world has ended sort of thing and he also and he presents it in a style that's it's not like today's bean mouth look where everything is like rounded corners and blobs like granted he does draw blobs but it he still like finds ways to have character in his art. Uh-huh. Like he, he really does feel like an artist, like that is trying to, you know, actually make characters despite, you know, the very cartoonish exterior to everything in Isaac. But he just adds that, like just layer of just like, <laughs> I guess you could say shit on top of it. Cause... <laughs> As you said, like, you know, you can literally th- poop is a prominent element in this game. Like, there's so much religious imagery involved in it. Lots of fetuses. <laughs> oh, yeah, lots of fetuses. I mean, it, it really pulls upon stuff that is abject in a sense yeah. where this, you know, this is the benefit of being an indie game developer is that you have carte blanche to kind of do what you want. And well for one no fucking no big name publisher was going to put their name on this no fucking way like having a game centered around a five-year-old basically confronting every sort of fear and like worry that is in their minds and it's all this like horrifying imagery like i can't see (laughs) literally nintendo struggled to like release this game on the 3ds because they thought it was like blasphemous uh which is really funny to me like which at the same time nintendo struggled to put this game out but at the same time they put bayonetta which is like you know sexy witch fight using demons to fight angels (laughs) that was fine but you know binding of isaac was too far initially um but yeah i mean this game draws a lot from mcmillan's personal life growing up and 
it was funny when I told you how his like his Wikipedia page is like he grew up in a house of quote born again uh, Christians of Mexican descent, and I'm like, okay, I can see. It. And apparently, he said you know his parents were like former drug addicts too, mm. so I can just see. You know, he he comes off as a very sweet and mild mannered person, especially in indie game the movie, where he yeah. he just seems like he wants to make things because that's what he loves. He's an artist. He's a creative. He just likes making things. He likes drawing things. He likes, you know, he loves making games. And when you play Binding of Isaac, you just get the feeling it's like, oh man, he he went through some things as a kid, even though it's not like a one to one retelling of his childhood. But you, what I love about it is, that, you know, I think we have the benefit of hindsight being 2020, where I think on the surface, people would see all the sort of Christian imagery and all the sort of dark undertones. And they would think that he's trying to pull like an epic atheist thing on it, but that never does. It never yeah. has like a saying Christianity is retarded moment it just presents kind of an honest personal feeling of someone's life, which is honestly nowadays feels refreshing because reading the phrase born again, Christian and of Mexican descent, I could see this game becoming something completely different. Yeah. Something that's aggravating. to play. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I something that I'm trying to figure out a way to explain, I guess, is just like, you know, there's the kind of artistic impulse to sort of just have your, your vision, you know, unfettered through any sort of commercial medium and just putting your vision out as it's meant to be. And then there's, you know, also the impulse to have it sell well. Mm-hmm. But it sort of is like he was able to kind of do both at the exact same time, you know? Mm-hmm. Like he's not, he somehow was able to like take all of these thoughts and feelings that he had that were really dark and shouldn't have sold well. And he was able to package it in just the perfect way possible to make it work for people mm-hmm. that would never play this, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, Binding of Isaac has been like, it's funny to think because I like, I went back in like the sort of like time machine of the internet when like kind of refreshing my mind on Isaac mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, binding of Isaac was like one of the early benefactors of like YouTubers, uh, like seeing people like have these hundred long playlists of them playing binding of Isaac. I'm just like, why, why is this connecting? But I think McMillan has a gift that Todd Howard has when I talked about fallout is that McMillan's, I think, earnesty is what sells you on whatever he's doing. You know, he's able to present a very structurally sound game, you know, because you have these roguelike elements full of items that are of varying different benefits to you as a player, you know, whether it be like, oh, hey, like, here's the onions. It makes the tears of Isaac go even faster. And so it's like a, a stat bonus, you know, much like any roguelike does, which is pulling upon RPG elements and all that sort of flim flammery. I think that is sort of like the cushion, the blanket 
being like, don't worry about it. The mechanics of this game are sound, but it's my aesthetic and my sort of willingness to put myself out there is what is potentially going to be the barrier of entry. And the fact that, you know, you have a game that opens with a mother wanting to kill her, like, I think Isaac's supposed to be like five years old or something, presented in a very, a very, just very sad aesthetic. You know, a lot of the game is presented in like cartoon doodles, like these like rudimentary stick figures, basically, which are drawn by Isaac in the game. And it just gives you, it just paints this like bleak and helpless world that you're entering that feels so hopeful, hopeless, but because you're controlling, you know, this little boy and you just want him to sort of escape it all. I think that's like kind of the driving gist of getting into Isaac is like, in a way you're kind of vicariously playing a parental figure. Like, Mm -hmm. Whether or if not McMullen wants that to be the intention or not, I feel like that is like a side effect of Isaac is that it becomes like a vehicle to like protect. I think most people have is like protect a young kid from the scary things that they're seeing in their head. I mean, because the game is presented from Isaac's point of view, you get constant like little loading screens or image like imagery of Isaac sort of being traumatized by events that he's sort of exper- experiencing. Like you see in you see how like uh, he believes that he's the reason that his parents divorced. You know the fact that he dons the Magdalene wig. You know because there's lots of like elements where you like don the appearance of other sort of sinners in the mm-hmm. Bible. You have like Ma- uh, Magdalene, the prostitute, or Samson. All these like famous biblical sinners, I believe. I don't know my Christianity well, so feel free <laughs> to correct me by you on that sense. But you know, it's fun. It's interesting, you know, to be presented like a little, a teeny tiny story information about like how. Isaac puts on like a wig so that he feels like he's not the problem anymore to his parents. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's avoiding, he's trying to like remedy a situation that's way out of his control, much like any child of divorce. I'm assuming I can't speak from experience, but you know, when you feel like you're the problem, you don a wig, but that doesn't help because then you get made fun of by your classmates for wearing a wig obviously binding of isaac being so uh progressive in that sense Uh, (laughs) listen but isaac and pedro jr very related in that sense um but you know as you progress through the game i love that it sort of just drip feeds you with enough of a painting Mm -hmm. a picture a piece of the painting that you understand isaac's point of view um because it doesn't follow traditional storytelling in a game where it's like oh i beat the boss here's the next story cutscene sort of thing it's all this like little drip feeding of like what isaac is feeling and i don't think i've played a game that has such a like 
really depressing like experience because may maybe it's just my internally father instincts coming through it's just like i want to save this little kid from the harshness of reality and i feel like that's what mcmillan wants people to feel like mm -hmm. to, for you to be the guiding hand to save this kid's you know life i mean the box art you know of this of these games is like isaac literally bawling his eyes out and you're just like oh you sweet summer child i'll save you we can get out of hell sort of thing like i don't know like yeah yeah drip feed is such a good word for that because it's like mcmullen never really fully shows you his hand the entire game mm -hmm. and it's sort of is like you're always no matter how far into the game you you get there's always something farther that you can get to and there's always something more that you can kind of grasp at and it's uh -huh. sort of like the game gets you know darker as it goes on too and so mm -hmm. it's sort of like you don't really feel the full darkness of the game you know when it first starts and so it sort of is like something that kind of envelops you as you keep going you know further and further into the game you sort of get further and further down the rabbit hole mm -hmm. yeah it it definitely feels kind of like a. I mean, again, it's pulling from its obvious inspirations, which is a lot of Christian storytelling, Christian imagery. It, it feels like, you know, you're entering, you know, X layer of hell, you know, for this little boy as he's both wanting to escape, you know, what he perceives his mother trying to literally kill him, but also the sort of harshness of reality mm -hmm. and it's one of the few games that i think captures the feeling of childhood imagination really well because you know it all the christian imagery comes from the fact that isaac's mother is a devout christian from her evangelical broadcast which i love that she watches evangelical broadcasts on TV. <laughs> and I love that Isaac's mom, you know, she's this like rotund woman with the polka dot dress. Like mm -hmm. that feels like a depiction of like moms is very different from nowadays. And the, de the depiction of his mom is very different and yeah. feels very not of the times, even though it was right at the cusp of it. You know, the, the fact that the mom is initially portrayed as this bloodthirsty, like crazy religious woman. And the game kind of frames that the dad, even though he, the dad leaves the family, that the dad is kind of actually in a positive sense. Like that's something you don't see in media is like a dad wanting to help his son. Mm -hmm. Like, like, I don't see that a lot in games and it's refreshing to see that now granted in later entries, they kind of add some layers of mystery behind it all. Like, Oh, the mom's tr is losing contact with her son. And, you know, the dad was an alcoholic, you know, there's all, there's a layer of like vagueness that inspires create like just fervent discussion that I really like. Like, mm -hmm.
go on YouTube or any other like site and you'll see just like rabbit hole videos going into the lore and story of Isaac, which Macmillan or Mac, yeah, Macmillan totally encourages because he will like drip feed lore randomly about, you know, binding of Isaac. And I love that like you can take the surf story and the experience on the surface level, but you can also read into it more. Like there's, mm -hmm. there's a story within a story happening and which feels very childhood imagination going on. Like Isaac's not per se in literal hell that he enters or his, you know, nightmares or whatever, but it's like his imagination of what his reality is you know, all these like religious symbols are there because of his mom teaching. There's items that are literally from the real life. Like there's his mom's coin purse or uh, the house keys uh, that the dad left behind or uh, the dad's ring or the mom's pill bottle. Like there's so many like just like Again, drip feeding little bits of information that scratch your brain and make you start to hypothesize what might be going on actually in reality and not inside the mind of a five-year-old who's having a moment, so to say. <laughs> one of one of the like one of the ones that always gets people really freaked out is one of the items you can pick up as a coat hanger. <laughs> oh yeah. That, and that, that was... one, like there's so many times like I went like you'll see people play this game and when they find that item they're just like ooh like what what is the lore behind the coat hanger <laughs> yeah there's there's a lot of items where there's no mm -hmm. explanation per se like because a lot of games they'll like if there's an item there's usually like a little blurb saying like oh yeah, yeah here's the x here's the x of blah 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 and this is its function or its backstory but isaac just kind of just says here it is and then it kind of feeds off the part of your mind that is like, well, why is there a coat hanger here? Why is mm -hmm. the pill bottles here? Why, yeah. why, why are so many things here? Like it, it, it's like, it plays off of the roguelike systems in that it wants you to keep going further and further in these dungeons to get a better understanding of the story at large and it really does paint a very tragic story like the fact that you know even though it's not like a one-to-one -one retelling of Edmund's life growing up I mean I adore the fact that he was willing to put so much of himself into the game because it feels more mm -hmm. personal as a result and mm -hmm. There, it doesn't feel like concessions were made in order for success or concessions made in order to get on a system. Like it was just something from the from the mind and the heart and the body per, that feels genuine. And I guess a lot of people can relate to just like the story of Isaac being a kid who just wants his happy family, and. I think the game framing itself 
with the Legend of Zelda influences also helps a lot because you know Zelda was mm -hmm. such an influence to so many kids growing up in the eighties that it's like the framing material of a simpler time with games from when you were a kid repurposing them into a much more grim dark adult take on it all i think only just it, it's just like a fascinating like peanut butter meets jelly moment i guess you could say where two disparate elements should not work together and yet they do and it's actually fantastic and you see how good the game has done for itself. I mean, the, the the original version of the game like sold 3 million copies, and then they completely remade it in a proper game engine, and they just kept adding more and more stuff to it with uh, Binding of Isaac Rebirth, and then all the various expansion packs that they'd done, you know, uh, it was Afterlife, Afterlife Plus, uh, Wrath of the Lamb, uh, and most recently Repentance, which is apparently the last major update of that style for a Binding of Isaac. Mm. Um, it, it's it's like uh, when yeah, it's just that's kind of like the the joy of games because there's sometimes when like different parts should not work together sort of thing like when games give you hard to control controls like you know shadow of the colossus has some difficult moments of control in it and yet it only adds to the experience mm -hmm. or goodness i'm trying to think of other games that are specific like heavy rain uh like heavy rain is a very specific game where it's utilizing quick time events to tell a cinematic story but they you they present these like button prompts in ways to reflect characters like that's an in, that on paper that shouldn't be a captivating experience but it was for a lot of people um trying to think of a, like or just how horror games in the past utilized like limited controls or very hard to control controls limited inventory going against the grains of game design kinda mm -hmm. and yet survival horror as a genre is one of the sort of pillars of games where it's one of the sort of genres that people are still into almost 30 years or back on, uh, 30 years after the fact that they burst onto the scene and I guess what I'm trying to get is like Binding of Isaac feels like another instance of that where mm -hmm. you have clashing elements that somehow create a captivating experience. I mean, you know, I have my playthrough playing on the TV that none of you can see, only by you and I can see it. And it's like, <laughs> you know, mesmerizing. Yeah, it's mesmerizing. Like, Honestly, if you're curious about it, if you're not like sold on the gameplay, you should just have like a friend play it for you because you know, you just see this like weird thing. Like right now, this person's Isaac is like rolling a gambling machine in like this like dungeon where he's gonna be fighting Judas, one of the uh <laughs> one of the you know 
it's so just so many just weird elements like if i were a game publisher i would not put a game where like you know sh enemies throwing shit at you i would not be like what are you doing are, are you trolling me sort of thing that would be my reaction to it are you trolling me and it's like no buddy i'm not like <laughs> within the within the shit there is quality Oh it's so funny because it's like the game never really takes itself seriously, but it doesn't not take itself seriously at the same time, if you know what I mean. Like, mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like a troll, even though it's like these like poops with like smiles on their faces and everything. It's like, it feels, it just feels very unique in that way. Like, it's not, it's kind of cutesy, but it's not fully cutesy. It's kind yeah. of crude, but it's not like all entirely a joke. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you can see it. But it's like the credits, they draw all the people who make the game in like stupid little stick figures. Hmm. Um, yeah, like the art, the, yeah, the art style is crude, but it's not badly done. And it's not Pixar, cute bean mouth, no, uh, Google blob creatures even though it looks like it on the surface, mm -hmm. you know, or even the music being the sort of ambient sort of cross. And then it suddenly gets into like metal music. That's like <laughs> literally like perfect gym music, I will say. Um, my God, it's like, I, I look around and so suddenly I have characters uh, and enemies having like a blood cannon shirting out of their body as an attack. <laughs> like what the fuck? fuck is this like it, and he's and this isaac's wearing the magdalene wig mm. the prostitute wig it's like mm. a characters with blood coming out of their eyes like <laughs> there's like honestly it's so the, crazy it's it is so crazy and yet it somehow has become like one of the biggest success stories in the industry where mm -hmm. and it doesn't feel weird it's just no. it's just so natural about it. Yeah, you mentioned to this you you messaged me about how it feels so abrasive and you know gross and disgusting, and yet it never it never like makes you dwell on it either. It's never just like mire in the grossness sort of thing. Blah. Like no. it feels just sort of melded together into like the experience that it's meant to be like yeah. and it never it never makes you like feel horrible after playing even though it could easily could it easily <laughs> could feel you mm -hmm. could feel like shit after playing this literally and <laughs> but in like every time when i played it back in the day i never had that feeling like i oh. always i always was like that was a fascinating journey into some bizarro nightmare world but in the vein of an addictive roguelike and you know seeing the sort of fervent fan fan base that has come around this game is even equally so because it's like i see mods where it's like give isaac a gun and it's like <laughs> you know what i think isaac does deserve a gun like i think so he after the shit he goes through, I think he has one hundred percent earned a gun. 
Like, I don't know. It's like looking, you know, McMullen. I keep saying McMullen. It's McMillan. You know, Edmund, Ed, whatever we want to call him. I think it's. I think it is McMullen. It, it, it's it's McMillan. I, I like my 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 slurring of speech. Is always it is McMillan. Oh wow! I okay. My my slurring I convinced of myself it wasn't. <laughs> my yeah, my slurring of speech wants to say McMullen, uh, but it's McMillan. And if you're ever listening to this, Ed McMillan, I apologize for ever perspiring. <laughs> I'm the retard here. Um, but what this is something that I thought about from Indie Game the movie that I think really sticks true about why I think this man is able to sort of craft his own stamp on the industry is at the end of the, at the movie, he's like, they're talking, they ask him like, you know, what's like, I think he, they like, he's He asks like, what's the, the biggest goal he wants with his game with at the time with super meat boy, you know, the goal in life is he wanted someone to like, he, like he wanted some kid, like when he was a kid to be like, stays up all night to play the game and then misses school so that they can keep playing it more and more. Mm -hmm. Like you, you really like when he's saying that he's like, almost, he's like literally crying. Like you really feel this man's love for doing this, which can't be said for a lot of people, not just games. Like there are so many people who in many ways are just doing it for the sake of doing it. And they're just mm -hmm. going by the numbers. But someone like this guy, where he's just like, is like a, in many ways, to quote RuPaul, when RuPaul says, you were born to do drag. It's like Edmund McMillan was born to make video games. Yeah. And yeah. he genuinely cares that he can be an influence on somebody, even if, you know... They don't know who he is per se. They, what he wants for is people to be inspired playing his games, mm -hmm. which I think is such a beautiful sentiment. Like, even if his style and his sensibilities are very abrasive to a lot of people, and I feel like even more so because culture has like made people, uh, in ways that turn them into Isaac where they're crying about everything. <laughs> um, I, his willingness to just put everything out there, I think is something so beautiful because it's rare to see someone do that nowadays where it's just, it's not about, making something and putting it out and calling it a day, get your check and walk. It's about making something, which sounds so simple, but it's such a just fact when you're a creative, it's like, I made this and I had an impact on someone like, I don't know for, for me personally, that is such like a touching message as mm -hmm. someone who is also like a creative at heart. Mm -hmm. To know that you had an influence on someone and that like, you know, you could have, you're, you're like the person who 
was able to kickstart someone's passion or love for the medium, you know, I feel that when he says that, like when, when Ed is like pouring his heart out, talking about why he does this at the end of the movie. You can tell just like how much the games that he played as a kid meant to him, Mm -hmm. you know, and how that was for him, I'm sure a way of escaping from everything he had to deal with, you know, his personal life. And so you can tell with something like, you know, Binding of Isaac, he's trying to give people younger than him that same experience with a game. And it's really touching to see something like that. Yeah, I mean, I like when I do this show, it's obviously coming from a place of love for something I genuinely care about. I've, if I were to include this, this is now the 34th episode of this season. And it's, when it's kind of, you know, this show is like a way for me to sort of like give thanks to so many different creators or developers for enriching my life sort of thing. It's like giving back to, to the things that I think are great. And, you know, when I look at something like binding of Isaac, you know, this thing that is, not for everyone on the on the surface level and yet it stays true to its vision it it just goes for it so to say you know i can't help but be like yeah like this game deserves to be talked about positively and for people to experience i mean at the end of the day he wants to just make games and he's not out there with some publisher telling him, Hey, you need to do this in order to get X demographic involved or whatever. You know, this comes from a guy who just was doodling weirdo monsters in his time. And I think people can sense that whether or not, uh, instinctly, but maybe Mm some like inside, like subconsciously, like the the pure heart of binding of isaac can is reaching out to so many players and that's the reason why it has endured and only grown and gotten more popular in the last decade like like people instinctively know when something was made with the most purest of intentions or something hopefully that all uh-huh. made sense that was no that was exactly the ethos of the game I mm-hmm. think that was just really well put. Yeah, it's I it's it, with games nowadays, especially in the age when games are the biggest medium, they're making the most money, you know, you see you see games everywhere nowadays. And games are so hyped you know the big big name games are so hyper focused on well how do we get ages from x to y or how do we get this uh cuz i know they're thinking about this like how do we get x racial demographic how do we get women involved you know you know you look at something like i you know fortnite i mean it's an easy punching bag it's like you know hey let's include this character let's have this art style let's you know 
here's this random con digital concert that you can attend to. Here's all these like calculated decisions. Yeah. Meanwhile, you know, Isaac is coming from a place of a man who has something to say and it's not there to be like I'm the smartest person in the room. It's just like he's telling his it's like a kind of like an autobiography in that sense. Mm -hmm. And this is how I feel with Kojima because a lot of Kojima's works are very much in the same vein where you see him through Metal Gear Solid trying to understand how his you know the try to process the fact that his dad died when he was a teenager and sort of him confronting that that part of his you know his development and i think that's you know in metal gear solid's case i think that's why a lot of people can connect to it too because it comes from a place of experience and comes from a place of just humanity in a way that I guess, you know, Binding of Isaac is a very, a game that, you know, we all can speak to, I guess, deep down, because it's just, you know, when you're a kid and you're not, you can't fully understand everything, everything is scary. Everything is the worst nightmare that's happening. And like, you know, kids' imaginations run wild, which is very true for Isaac. And... I don't I I feel it. Uh, I guess yeah, just you, like you. yeah, I guess just like when you have all these committees of people trying to figure out what you know, what demographics they need to make in order for the game to sell. Like in doing so they kind of miss out on the humanity because they're so focused on numbers. Yeah. Where it's like with something like Isaac it's like Ed McMillan is just looking inside himself you know, and creating a game about, you know, from himself and it like expanding outward. Mm -hmm. But in doing so, he reaches at something that's more, you know, human and more central to everyone. And it makes it more, really enough, it makes it more relatable to everyone in a way that like a committee based game trying to fit specific demographics then just can't really do. Yeah. I, I think you're totally right there. Like, would it be a stretch to say it's like he's self-actualization, self-actualizing words? I can use them. Uh, <laughs> like he's taking control of a part of himself, and mm -hmm. you know, it's like you know, you 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 don't live in the you know, it's about moving forward moving past yourself in order to let yourself grow i guess because mm -hmm. i feel like we all have that where it's like we have a bad moment in our childhood or growing up as a teenager and we kind of let that moment define us mm -hmm. but or or any concept you know like i think of evangelion kind of like being held back by the like literal fan culture of itself and it's like evangelion's like we have to destroy evangelion itself in order to prog <laughs> to, to progress you know mm -hmm. it, it may not be the most direct similar thing but binding of isaac feels like that way for with edmund mm -hmm. 
And what I love is that he does not, he's still able to do that, you know, with his later titles, like The End is Nigh, or, you know, that he's like doing another like bizarro game called Mugenics, where it's like <laughs> a tactical RPG. Oh, uh, I did hear about this one. Where you're like, there's two parts of it where it's like combat and the other part of it is breeding cats. <laughs> like, what the fuck? But like, you know, I love that this man puts all of himself out to the world mm-hmm. because there ain't many people who do that. They hide behind whether it be anonymity or they hide behind a caricature of themselves or, you know, they hide behind the sort of image that they want the world to imagine themselves to be. But it's like with Edmund McMillan, it's like, no, this is all of him to the mm-hmm. world full broadcast. And if you don't like it, then you don't buy it. And I think that's true of the indie spirit at the end of the day. You know, an indie game is, you know, one or two or four or five people putting themselves to the world and hoping that it clicks with people. Mm -hmm. And it's heartbreaking when it doesn't. But when it does, it's... To me, it feels like magic. When... Yeah when someone's vision or some people's visions can connect coming from, you know, the purest of places or the purest intentions without a care of what people think of them in the process, you know, that's what makes indie games so beautiful to me. What makes, you know, what makes games beautiful to me is you know or any art beautiful to me is the putting of oneself to the world and broadcasting it being confident in one's vision and creating something that touches the hearts and minds of people around the world and i think binding of isaac is a glittering example of that even if that glitter has to be polished off you know polish the blood the the pus, the puke, and the shit like of the aesthetics. You know, Binding of Isaac glitters in the middle of all this just heinous shit that you see on screen. You know, I wouldn't change this game one iota at all. Like, in many ways, I just want this game to keep going. I like Mm -hmm. what new exciting things could this game series provide us i guess you know um but hey you know as he's always done i ed mcmillan keeps trucking along i guess mm-hmm. but yeah i think yeah i mean it, i think we've exhausted this game and ed mcmillan and indie games i mean do you have any closing thoughts by you on binding of isaac or ed mcmillan i guess just similar to what you were saying just that when you can present a vision of yourself that's fully authentic to the world a lot of the times people respond to it in a way that is just far more satisfying just not for the person not only for the person making it but just for everyone in general than it would be if you tried to focus test something 
just to please everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the real thing to take away from indie game, the movie, indie games, and Finding of Isaac is just like how important it is to put a vision into the world of yourself and who you really are and what you're about. Yeah, no, I, I really couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess to everyone who's listening, just give binding and get that. I can't speak. Uh, give binding of Isaac a shot. You know, I'm pretty sure I'm, I can't remember how much this game goes for, but it's not it's not expensive. You know, give this game a shot. If it's not for you, then that's okay. But it's better to give this one a shot, see what it's all about, and I think you'll discover the magic that's lying beneath it, behind its creator, behind hell, even just the whole concept of an indie game. So yeah, everyone buy it. Give it a shot. But I thank you, Bayou, for joining me on another journey on this show. <laughs> it's been a joy talking with my fellow North Carolinian once again. Uh... We got we 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 tar heels gotta stay together, am I right? So true. <laughs> um but I think that will wrap it up for tonight. <laughs> <laughs>